Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And if we cancel Fabulous Faith, um, it will be because the speaker didn't come, probably. They were selling 25 tickets a day until this last week, and they're selling two tickets a day now. But maybe they've already bought them all. I don't know. But, but we're still planning on having it. Life's not going to stop. And, and uh, we're just going to do the best we can. We'll take care of one another and pray for one another. Uh, but I just want you to know, you don't have to worry if we're having church Sunday, we're having it. All three services. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, you see the, the first word, therefore. Now, you do know, you do know this, but let me remind you in case you don't. When the Bible was written, when the letters were written, they didn't have numbers in them. There was no chapter 5, verse 1. This was all one continuous letter, and many years ago, uh, they put the numbers in there to help us make, you know, so that preachers could stand up here and say, look at verse 1, chapter 5. But sometimes the, the breaks make it think like it's a whole new subject, but it's really not because verses 30 to 32, when we talked about grieving the Holy Spirit and forgiving one another and being tenderhearted and loving, kind to one another, and then verse one says, therefore, based on what he just said, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't run with them. Doesn't mean you can't talk to them, but don't engage in their lifestyle. A man brought his boss home from, for dinner one night, and the boss was one of those arrogant, blustery, self-centered people, very dominating personality. And the little boy of the family just kept staring at his dad's boss the whole time. And finally, the, the, man, the boss asked the little boy, why do you keep looking at me, son? And the little boy said, well, my dad tells me that you're a self-made man. The boss beamed proudly, admitted that indeed he was a self-made man. And the little boy said, said well, if you're a self-made man, why did you make yourself like that? <laughs> We're going to imitate something, whether we like it or not. I was mentioning to Laura the other night. I said, it's just interesting to me when you watch society 
how everybody imitates everybody. I mean, it wasn't that many. Now, I, I hesitate to say anything because I'm not being critical. You all understand this. But I, I shouldn't even have to apologize. But nowadays, everybody gets their feelings hurt so easy. But, you know, 20 years ago, there weren't that many men had hair on their face. I'm glad some of you do. You look better with it. <laughs> I'm not being critical of it, but, it, you know, it's interesting how, you know, back when I was a teenager, the long hair was there. And you can see some of the remnants of that by guys my age that still have it. Some of them wish they still had it. <laughs> it's, it's let go. But... You know, I, I notice somebody gets a tear in their jeans. And now you buy jeans with tears in them. It's just interesting how we're always kind of following everybody else, aren't we? Well, Paul, Paul said, he's referring back to verse 32 where it says to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. He said, you need to imitate God. So let me talk to you for a few minutes about what I call being a carbon copy Christian. And the first truth I want you to see is Paul giving the plea to childlike living. He's saying, be imitators. The word is mimitas. We get our word mimic. You ever see children mimic somebody? He said, I want you to mimic God. Now, that doesn't mean in a, a distasteful way, but the word imitator here is somebody who copies specific characteristics of another person. And Christians, he's saying, please copy the characteristics of God in your life. You're not God. We never will be God. But characterize, let that be the characterization of your life. Can you imagine somebody asking you to be like God? Why can't you be like God? Well, that's what he's saying. Be imitators of God as dear children. It's natural for children to imitate their parents. You find out a lot by the way children imitate you, don't you? It's not uh, always a happy experience. I heard of a, bo a little boy who who had, he learned some bad words at school and he told his mom or he said them on the way home and his mom sent him to his room. There were cuss words. And when, when his dad got home, mom told him what the son had said and the father was furious. He said, I'll teach that boy to cuss and he started up the stairs. Well, when he did, he stepped on a roller skate, lost his balance and tumbled back down the stairs and every time he hit another step, he was letting a cuss word fly. And when he got to the bottom, he got up and his, and his wife said, honey, I think that's enough for his first lesson. <laughs> we imitate other people because God is holy. We're supposed to be holy. Now, we didn't make ourselves holy. Only Christ could do that for us. He forgave us. In verse 32, he's just forgiving other people just as God in Christ forgave you. And then in, in verse 2, he says, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us. The greatest evidence of love, or one of the greatest evidences of love in our life, is when we forgive other people. Because that's, way, that's what Jesus has done for us. When we forgive others, it's an, it's, a, it's an evidence. Love will always lead us to forgive others. Why? 
because we realize how God's forgiven us. The presence of forgiveness always proves the presence of love because only love, the love of God and love from God has the motive and the power to give us that forgiveness, to forgive other people. Well, he gives a pattern for Christ-like love in verse two. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. A child often learns by tracing. Remember when you put onion skin paper or you put some kind of paper you can see through over a pattern and you begin to trace it? Well, the pattern for Christian living, believe it or not, is not somebody else in this room. The pattern we're supposed to follow is Jesus. If you want to pattern your life, it ought to be after Jesus. It says Christ himself. Every believer is to trace his life after Christ himself. It says he has given himself for us. Now that's the epitome of agape. When Christ gave his life for us to have life. They didn't take his life from him. They didn't kill Jesus before he was ready. He gave his life willingly. God loved us and that while we were yet sinners and enemies, he still came seeking for us. We're commanded to love as God loves. In Christ, it's now our nature to love just as it's God's nature to love. When the Holy Spirit enters your life, he changes your feelings toward people. We love people we don't even know. We are kind to people we don't even know. We we have love, but lovelessness is more than a failure. It's a disobedience to God. When we're not loving people as his children, we're being disobedient to God. He's saying, you're supposed to love. Walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself for us. Sometimes it's hard to love other people. But God's love is not only unconditional, but it's self-sacrificing. He mentions part of an offering in verse two. If you go back to Leviticus, you're going to find there were five offerings that were commanded by God that were given to the Israelites. And all of these offerings, way back in the Old Testament and Leviticus, were really pictures of what Christ would do for us eventually on the cross. For example, the first three offerings are three of the offerings mentioned were the burnt offering, the meal offering, and the peace offering. Well, the burnt offering found in Leviticus 1, 1 through 17, depicted Christ's total devotion to God in giving his very life to obey and follow the Father. He gave his life totally. The meal offering found in Leviticus 2, 1 through 16, described or depicted Christ's perfection. And then the peace offering found in Leviticus 3, 1 through 17 depicted his making peace between God and man. And all of those offerings spoke of what was pleasing to God. But there were two offerings that were offensive to God. The sin offering and the trespass offering. Leviticus 4 and Leviticus 5. They depicted Christ when he became sin for us. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. 
when Jesus died on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46, when he became sin for us and God put sin on him, it was repulsive to God, a holy God. He turned his back on the sin. And when Christ was resurrected, the sacrifice had conquered sin and it was a sweet-smelling aroma. And that sweet-smelling aroma spreads its fragrance to everybody on earth who responds to the grace of God. It's good news for people. Can you imagine if one of us today could call one of the major news network and said, I have the cure Guaranteed to have the cure for the coronavirus. How excited everybody would be. Well, we have the cure for sin. The sin that will send people to an eternity away from God. We've got the best news on the earth. It's a sweet smelling aroma. And would you be offended if I told you that your life stinks? How's that for being blunt? God can make it a sweet-smelling aroma. It stinks good. We used to say that when you come in, mom had something that smelled good when you walked in, and you could smell it in the kitchen, and it says, sure stinks good in here. Well, he takes our life and makes it a sweet-smelling aroma. He changes our life. But you know what? Whatever God establishes, Satan will counterfeit. And Paul begins to mention that. Counterfeit love characterizes Satan's children. When I use the word love, you're thinking of God's love, and we're thinking of the love that Christ has for us, but when I say the word love in this society, all kinds of thoughts come. And that's why we see this counterfeit love, and in verses three through seven, you see the perversion of this counterfeit love. Real love comes from God, and it's a sweet-smelling aroma, changes our life, his grace, but the perversion of this counterfeit love, it's misguided, it's counterfeited, it's a lie. And notice what he says, the word, but, and he begins to mention what man thinks about love. And the first thing he mentions is fornication. It's the word for immorality. It's the word pornea. P-O-R-N-E-I-A. It refers to all sexual sin. And all sexual sin is against God, and it's the opposite of godly love. It's the opposite of the word which refers to self-control, especially in the area of sex. Now, sex is a good thing between a husband and wife, a man and a woman who are married. God gave that gift, but that's the only place it's not sin. Amen? In contrast to godly love, the world's love is lustful and self-indulgent. 
It loves because the object is attractive or enjoyable or pleasant or satisfying or appreciative or loves in return or produces a desired feeling or is likely to be to repay in some way. It's always based on that other person fulfilling this person's needs. It's always selfish for the most part. That's what this word means. Y'all remember Hugh Hefner? I bet his tune has changed now that he's not alive anymore. But listen to what he said, and it pretty much sums up, sums up how the world, and I'm speaking in generalities, how the world thinks. Sex is a function of the body, a drive which man shares with animals like eating, drinking, and sleeping. It's a physical demand that must be satisfied. If you don't satisfy it, you'll have all sorts of neurosis and repression, psychosis. Sex is here to stay. Let's forget the prudery that makes us hide from it. Throw away those inhibitions. Find a girl who's like-minded and let yourself go. Hugh Hefner. The world claims to want to love. Mercy, songs, novels, movies, TV continually exploit emotional, lustful desires as if it were genuine love. And people today are trying to find the perfect love. And so they get in a relationship and then they find out it's not perfect, whatever they're thinking. And a lot of people live in fornication and think nothing of it. They don't want to hear about their sin. I, I, I'm, a, I'm amazed at how many people just seem to uh, not think very seriously about this area of their life. This Bloomberg report, which you got to, you got to uh, consider the source. <laughs> but back in April of 2013. So it's seven years old. It said unmarried couples living together is new U.S. norm. I want to read part of it. Three of four women in the United States have lived with a partner without being married by the age of 30. An increasing trend that suggests cohabitation is now a regular part of family life in the United States, researchers said. The survey of 12,279 women ages 15 through 44 also found that 40% of unmarried partners transition to marriage within three years, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. A third of the arrangements stayed intact without marriage, while 27% dissolved. More people are putting off marriage either because they can't afford it because it's financially risky, said Gail Wyatt, the director of the University of California, Los Angeles sexual health program. About 48% of the women surveyed lived with a partner as a first union compared with 34% in 1995. Others may view cohabitation as a way of test driving a relationship to see if a wedding will work. Quote, marriage is for people who have money and want to spend money just on the wedding itself, Wyatt said in a telephone interview. She wasn't involved in the study. Some people would rather buy a house or just pay the rent. 
People who are poor or less educated may shy away from marriage and its legal complications, she said. Cohabitation is a common part of family formation in the United States and serves both as a step toward marriage and as an alternative to marriage, the report said. I have a Greek word for that. Baloney. <laughs> Chuck Swindoll wrote a book entitled Strike the Original Match. Match. <laughs> Listen to what he says. Tragic damages occur when God's standard is violated. Let me share just one for the sake of clarification. A great deal of my counseling time is invested in the lives of couples planning to get married. During the three premarital counseling sessions, I probed deeply into their relationship. We discussed their lives from several perspectives, spiritually, emotionally, financially, socially, and sexually. It's not uncommon for those I plan to marry to have been intimately involved with each other. I require that this be stopped if such as has been the case. Before we proceed, I have each one promise me that from that day on until they are married, they will sustain restraint and self-control in their relationship. And here's why. If promiscuity is not completely stopped for a period of time before marriage, then after marriage, a strange reversal in their roles occurs. The young bride marries with disappointment over the violation done against her by her fiance. She soon becomes dominant and aggressive, taking the role of leadership from her husband because of a mixture of resentment and anger. And the man, well, he feels guilty, disappointed with himself, and ultimately becomes passive. She takes charge and hates it while he backs off and feels miserable. All because their intimate relationship was incorrectly set in motion before marriage. Of the hundreds of unhappy couples I have counseled who finally admitted to premarital promiscuity, I can hardly recall an exception to this strange pattern. A Christian psychologist friend of mine told me that the number one problem he deals with in his busy practice is the passive male. So many men today find it difficult, if not impossible, to take the proper role of authority in their home. I wonder how much of it stems from aggressive yet immoral, illicit involvements that were maintained during courtship days, and now they are suffering reverse consequences. God has us in it for a reason. The second thing he mentions uncleanness or impurity. It's more a, a more general word than pornea. It refers to anything that is unclean and filthy. Jesus used this word one time when he, in Matthew 23, 27 when he described the rottenness of decaying bodies in a tomb. The other 10 times the word is used in the New Testament, it is associated with sexual sin. It refers to immoral thoughts, passions, ideas, fantasies, and every other form of sexual corruption. Louise McBurney, a doctor, said a common path to sexual sin is the notion that feelings are not only all important, but also totally uncontrollable. They just happen to you. We see this in schools. You, the, we, those teenagers can't help it. We've got to protect them. Pornography fits here. 
according to Family Safe Media, every second, $3,075.64 is being spent on pornography. Every second. Every second, 28,258 internet users are viewing pornography. Every second, 372 internet users are typing adult search terms in the search engines. Every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being created in the United States. And 47% of Christians said pornography is a major problem in their home. And the average age of first internet exposure to pornography is 11 years old. The largest consumer of internet pornography is the ages 12 to 17. 15 to 17 year olds having multiple hardcore exposure, 80%. And eight through 16 year olds having viewed porn online, 90% most of them while doing homework. I'm sorry this is such a hard subject tonight, but it's time for us to wake up and realize what's going on. The third word, he uses covetousness or greed. Isn't it interesting that you can't separate greed or covetousness from impurity? Why is that? The Hebrews, the Jews, visualize the soul as full of vigorous desires which urge to have influence over other people and things. So every form of sexual immorality is an expression of the self-will, self-gratification, self-centeredness, also known as greed. I I just care about me, and I want what you have, and so I'm going to take it. And because of the strong sexual nature of human beings, sexual sins are powerful and they become perverted in an unimaginable way. If left unchecked, sexual sin leads to complete insensitivity to the feelings and welfares of others, to brutality, sometimes to murder. And you know what he says? Don't let it even be named among you. It's not fitting. It's not fitting for who you and I are. We're supposed to be imitators of God, not this stuff. Amen? I'm not fussing at you. I'm just saying that you you shouldn't believe how many people, especially, I, I, I know I'm speaking to most people who would agree, but there's so many of the younger ones coming up who just don't seem to find any problem with this. I see it all the time. He goes on to say, neither filthiness. Now, it has to do with general obscenity. Any talk that is degrading and disgraceful. Somebody said Americans are bilingual. They can speak two languages. They can speak English and profanity. I also read, someone said, if swearing and cussing and cheating are crimes, then golf should be outlawed. (laughs) You have to play golf to understand that. It's it's real hard on my Christianity. And there was a certain sign in an IRS office over the door. Going in, it said, watch your step. Coming out, it said, watch your language. (laughs) 
And you know this old story I'm going to tell you anyway because we need to have a lighter moment for a second. This lady bought a parrot. She wanted a parrot that could talk. She went to a, a, a pet shop and the owner told her, said, look, this parrot was previously owned by a bartender. And and he can say just about anything you want, but in the bar, he learned a lot of profanity. She said, well, you know what? I'm going to buy him anyway. I can teach him to say good things. And everything went well for a month. He learned to say praise the Lord and a number of other Christian phrases. And one day she forgot to feed him. She came into the house and heard him cussing. So she grabbed him. I said, I told you not to talk that way. I'll teach you never do it again. Put him in the freezer. A few minutes later, she took him out and said, have you learned your lesson? The bird shivered and said, yes, ma'am. Are you going to talk like that anymore? No, ma'am. And several, you know, and everything was fine for about seven or eight months. And then one day she forgot to feed him, came in, and he was cussing again. So she took him out of the cage and put him back in the freezer. Telephone rang. She had one of those long conversations and forgot she put the parrot in the freezer. Well, when she opened it up, he was still barely alive. He was almost frozen to death when she thought of him. She put him in his cage to thaw out, and finally he began to move a little bit. And, and she said, have you learned your lesson? Yes, ma'am, the parrot said. He just sat there quietly for a few more minutes shivering. The parrot said, can I ask you a question? Yes, you can. She said, I want to know what that turkey said. Okay, a little lighter moment, all right? <laughs> filthiness, that's the word, filthiness or degrading, has to do with obscenity. And that's what he mentions, filthiness. And then the word foolish talking. And it's really another word for worldliness. Sometimes, it, it actually, the, the word, the root word is moros. We get our word moron. It, it means dull or stupid, basically. It means to, it's, it's, and I, I don't mean to be crude, it just means stupid talk. It's, it's usually intellectually deficient. It's sometimes referred to low obscenity, the foolish talk that comes from a drunk or a gutter mouth. It has no point except to give an air of dirty worldliness. No spiritual talk, just going to show how worldly you are. You're going to talk like everyone else. Worldliness is simply pursuing the activities of the present life with no thought of God. And right along with that, he says, nor coarse jesting, obscene. It, it refers to... Somebody who no matter what you're talking about always seems to take it to a place of, of questionable conversation. You know, a lot of the, quote, comedians today on television, a lot of them, they've always got some kind of sexual innuendo somewhere. They always take you to that. That's what this is talking about. To being, being too obscene to the person that no matter how what you're talking about, turning it easily to obscene things. That's, that's not our heart. That's not the way God is. That's not who we are. In fact, he, he goes on to say 
but rather giving of thanks in verse four. Our heart should be, Lord, I thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for forgiving me my sin. Thank you for delivering me from this. Thank you for the forgiveness that I have. And in verses five through seven, the rest of those verses describe the life of an unbeliever. People will try to deny with empty words telling us that sin is tolerable and God will not exclude unrepentant sinners from his kingdom. But folks, it doesn't, it, does it mean that if, if you've ever been covetous, you're not going to heaven? No, he's talking about a life that's, that's devoid of God. Obviously, our sinful nature creeps, creeps up every now and then. And so he's not talking about a slip up. He's talking about a life that's, that lives like this. He said, that's not fitting of Christians. That, that's not how you're supposed to live. Verse five, for this you know, you know that a fornicator, an unclean person, a covetous man who's an idolater, those who don't know God, those who don't know Jesus, they have no place in heaven because they've never been saved. He said, don't let anybody deceive you. There's a lot of deception going on today by people who say, well, you know, God's going to save everybody. He's, he's a loving, gracious God, and he's merciful, and he's just going to save everybody, so it doesn't matter how you live. Well, that's not unlike the Colossian heretics who were telling you that if all evil is matter, then you don't have to, it doesn't matter how you live, but you and I both know. Does that mean if I got to toe the line? See, a lot of people will take this to say, I said a cuss word. I must need to be saved again. No. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is for. Amen. But your Holy, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, wait a minute. This relationship you're in, this is wrong and you know it. And you're miserable in it. Even though you try to be happy. Try to justify it. It's okay. For this you know, there's no doubt or confusion. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. It doesn't mean we're better than them. It doesn't mean that we snub our nose at them. But don't live in that lifestyle with them. A father came home from his work and he saw his little girl who'd been playing in the mud. He said to her, my, you're pretty dirty. And in a childlike way, she said, yeah, dad, I know, but I'm prettier clean. <laughs> well, that's what Jesus does for us. He cleans us up. He forgives us. He begins to clean up our lifestyle. Two theological students were walking along the street in the Whitechapel District of London in a section where old and used clothing is sold. And what a feeling, fitting illustration all this makes, said one of the students, as he pointed to a suit of clothes hanging in a window on a rack, and there was a sign by it that said, slightly soiled, greatly reduced in price. And he said, that's exactly it. We get soiled by gazing at a vulgar picture, reading a coarse book, or allowing ourselves a little indulgence in dishonest or lustful thoughts. And so when the time comes for our character to be appraised, we are greatly reduced in value. Our purity, our strength is gone. We're just part and parcel of the general stock of the world. 
I've got some good news for you. God can clean all of us up. And he has been. He's still working on us. So nobody in here is perfect. Nobody in here is the perfect example of that. That's why I didn't read in here, be imitators of so-and-so and so-and-so. It says, be imitators of God. He's the standard. He's the holy one. He's the perfect one. But folks, it does matter. It does matter where we go and what we do and what we say and how we live. And, and he said, if you're going to imitate somebody, imitate God. I thought last Sunday was a great morning to see all the different ministries that we're involved in. And exactly happened what I wanted to happen. When Gary Beatty mentioned about having a missions day, he said, well, we could do it on a Sunday evening. I said, no, we're going to do it on Sunday morning because I want everybody to be exposed. Jerry Joplin, who was the director of missions for the Lubbock Area Baptist Association, is also a member here. He and Carla have joined Southcrest. They had a booth out here. And I don't know who he was talking to, but when somebody came up to his booth and said, what is all this out here? And Jerry said, these are the ministries and missions that Southcrest is involved in. And his eyes got big and he said, really, all of this? He said, absolutely, every dollar you give helps support these missions and ministries. He said, I had no idea. Well, that accomplished exactly what I was praying would happen, that people would understand just how many things that God is using our congregation to do in different ways and different, different scenarios. And so that happened. I can hardly wait for Sunday because you're going to get a snapshot of the real Jesus in Colossians. And we'll talk about that Sunday if we're all still alive. <laughs> if you are dead, do not come. If I'm dead, I'm not coming either. Let's pray. God, thank you for our sweet family. I thank you for these people that love you. And like we sang before, or like Tony sang a minute ago, we're sheltered in your arms. We know that we're safe in you. That that you're gonna take care of us. I do pray for those that do have some serious health issues and ask you, Lord, to spare them from this that could complicate their life. And Lord, we're not looking to, to, to find a virus, but we're asking you to help us be, to be rational voices in a world of panic. Help us to share good news with people that they don't have to be afraid. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us know how to respond to people. We pray for services Sunday that, that somebody that will either hear it online or in the room or later on television, that, that they would understand that who you really are, Jesus, that you are everything. So we pray that you will bring us back safely and, and um, just protect our congregation. Help us to be wise. Lord, we're, we, we really need your direction on this Israel trip. We're kind of in limbo, and we just would like a definite answer one way or the other so we can move on. So we're asking for your help. I pray that next week that you'll protect people during spring break. We're coming Sunday with all the services at regular time. But next Wednesday, we, we just pray that you'll keep everybody safe next week, and then we'll get you on back the next Sunday. 
Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Help us to be carbon copies of you and your characteristics. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you, folks. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening.